Hello again. Welcome back to Memory and Top 40 Music, where we revisit the top of the pop charts through the eyes of history. I'm Spoken Joe Williams. Thanks for listening. I want you to know we've got a big announcement coming later in the show, so be sure to stay tuned for that. In this episode, we're looking at the top 10 from February 3rd, 1959. That was the day the music died. At around 1 a.m. on February 3, 1959, an event occurred that upset the balance of that first rock and roll generation. A plane crashed near Clear Lake, Iowa, killing four people. The plane's pilot, Roger Peterson, plus music stars Richie Valens, J.P. Richardson, known as the Big Bopper, and Buddy Holly. Until that moment, the music world was going about its business as usual, with the Winter Dance Party Tour in its second week crisscrossing the Midwestern part of the United States. The Winter Dance Party Tour featured Buddy Holly and his new band, plus Valens, the Big Bopper, and Dion and the Belmonts. The opening act on the tour was Brooklyn, New York native Frankie Sardo. Holly's band, The Crickets, had disbanded when he moved to New York in 1958, and his new band was comprised of Waylon Jennings, Tommy Alsup, and Carl Bunch. The Winter Dance Party was set to play 24 cities in 24 days, and the tour started on January 23rd in Milwaukee. And on Billboard's newly released Hot 100, Jack Scott had the number 10 song. Goodbye Baby was in its sixth week in the top 40, down one spot from its number 9 placement the week before. Giovanni Domenico Scafoni Jr., a native of Ontario, Canada, was raised in Detroit and took the name Jack Scott when he began his recording career. He led a band called the Southern Drifters before breaking away to continue as a solo artist. Scott would hit the top 49 times in his career. His first hit was Leroy, which he took to number 25 in July 1958. That was actually one side of a double-sided hit, the other being My True Love, which made it all the way up to number 3 in August 1958. My True Love was one of two of Jack Scott's songs which reached as high as number three. The other was Burning Bridges, which was a hit in 1960. After this week's dip to number 10, Goodbye Baby would rebound a bit and make it to number eight two weeks later, its peak position on the chart. It spent a total of four weeks in the top 10 and 12 weeks in the top 40. Except for Burning Bridges, Jack Scott wrote all of his own hit songs and has been a member of the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame since 2011. Goodbye Baby was included in music author Dave Marsh's 1989 list of the 1,001 greatest singles ever made. Jack Scott, who is still alive today, with the number 10 song on February 3, 1959, Goodbye Baby. So the idea for this 1959 winter dance party sounds like a pretty fun one. Certainly the audiences were enjoying the shows, but the musicians were having an entirely different experience. With a show a day for more than three weeks, the artists were on the road after each night's show to get to the next venue, which was often hundreds of miles away. Try this out. The tour opened with two shows in Wisconsin, then one in Minnesota, one back in Wisconsin, two back in Minnesota, two in Iowa, one in Minnesota, one in Wisconsin, then the show in Clear Lake, Iowa. They weren't hopping a quick and comfortable flight. They were traveling by bus. Every night, with the entire collection of singers and musicians traveling together on one bus. And it sounds as if the buses came off the discount rack as they broke down repeatedly. These were refurbished school buses that were being changed out just about every other day due to mechanical troubles. A couple of the singers, the Big Bopper and Richie Valens, were coming down with the flu, 
and Buddy Holly's drummer, Carl Bunch, suffered frostbite to his feet after the bus broke down in sub-zero temperatures near Ironwood, Michigan. Ironwood is the westernmost city in Michigan, about 18 miles south of Lake Superior. The winter dance party pulled into Clear Lake, Iowa on Monday, February 2nd, the same day that Clyde McFadder had the nation's number nine hit with A Lover's Question. Clyde McFadder was born in November 1932 in Durham, North Carolina. The McFadder family moved to Teaneck, New Jersey in 1945 and later to New York City, where Clyde formed the Mount Lebanon Singers, for which he was the lead tenor. McFadder was recruited by and joined Billy Ward and his Dominoes, a top R&B vocal group in the early 50s. When McFadder decided to leave the Dominoes in 1953, he agreed to coach his own replacement, who turned out to be Jackie Wilson, who would go on to have a tremendous solo career, which earned him a place in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. McFadder signed with Atlantic Records on the condition that he form his own group, a group he called the Drifters. Though Clyde McFadder and the Drifters had three number one R&B hits, the Drifters didn't really hit it big on the pop charts until after McFadder departed the group and launched his own solo career. Clyde McFadder hit the top 40 pop charts eight times, the first being 1957's Without Love, There Is Nothing, and the last being 1962's Little Bitty Pretty One. His biggest hit was this week's number nine song, A Lover's Question. A Lover's Question spent 20 weeks in the top 40, seven of those in the top 10. It peaked at number six on January 19th. This week was its last in the top 10. Two months earlier, A Lover's Question hit number one on the R&B chart. Clyde McFadder died at the age of 39 in 1972. He was the first artist to be inducted twice into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, first as a member of the Drifters and later as a solo artist. This week, Clyde McFadder had the number nine song in the U.S., A Lover's Question. I'm Joe Williams, and you're listening to Memory and Top 40 Music as we look back at the top of the charts on February 3rd, 1959. I'd like to say thanks for sharing your memories with us, like Mary Rose from Howell, New Jersey, who, after hearing our David Cassidy tribute, shared her memory of she and her brothers pretending they were the Partridge family, singing into fake microphones and playing the air guitar. She also remembers all the covers of Tiger Beat magazine that featured David Cassidy, That's great, Mary Rose. Thanks for sharing your memories. If you have a memory to share, just drop a note to memory at spokenjoe.com. I'll include a couple in an upcoming Memory and Top 40 Music episode. Hey, and do me a favor. Invite a friend to listen, too. Sharing horizons that are new to us. Watching the signs along the way. Talking it over, just the two of us. Listening to the song at number eight together. Sometimes music is just loaded with coincidences. And so it was on February 3rd, 1959. We just mentioned how Clyde McFadder was replaced in the dominoes by Jackie Wilson. Well, guess who had the number eight song this week? Yep, Jackie Wilson. Lonely teardrops holding in the same number eight position as last week would eke up to number seven the next two weeks, its highest position on the charts. Lonely Teardrops, co-written by Motown founder Barry Gordy Jr., was Wilson's first top ten pop hit as a solo singer, and he took it to number one on the R&B charts. 
Lonely Teardrops was covered by numerous artists, including Brian Hyland, on the very first album I ever owned. I won Hyland's self-titled album in a blind auction in grade school. I think it cost me about two bucks. I've still got the album. In fact, I'm looking at the uh, credits on the album right now, and I noticed that Del Shannon played guitar on the album. The big hit from that album was Gypsy Woman, which Brian Hyland took into the top five in December 1970. Jackie Wilson had Lonely Teardrops in the top 40 for 16 weeks. It was one of his six top 10 singles. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame included Lonely Teardrops on its list of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll, and Rolling Stone magazine placed it at number 315 on its list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Jackie Wilson hit the top 40 24 times, with his 1960 song Night peaking the highest at number 4. I suspect most people know Wilson for his 1967 hit, Your Love Keeps Lifting Me Higher and Higher, later a number 2 hit for Rita Coolidge in 1977. Wilson never fully recovered from a massive heart attack he suffered while on stage at a Dick Clark Oldies concert in 1975. He passed away in 1984 at 49 years of age. He was a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 1987 and is number 69 on Rolling Stone's list of the 100 greatest artists of all time. And do you remember the Commodore's 1985 sweet soul hit Night Shift? That song, which went to number three, was a tribute to Jackie Wilson and Marvin Gaye, both of whom died in 1984. Night Shift was the Commodore's biggest hit after Lionel Richie left the group. You'll remember it as soon as you hear it. In fact, I think this is the perfect lead-in to the big announcement I teased you with a little earlier. As I've explained in earlier episodes of Memory and Top 40 Music, we can't play the songs in the podcast due to copyright laws and licensing issues. But we've now got what I think is the next best option. It started with an idea sent to us by a couple of Memory and Top 40 Music listeners, Kevin in Akron, Ohio, and Tom in Parkville, Maryland. The idea was to create companion playlists for each Memory and Top 40 Music episode in Spotify. If you aren't familiar with Spotify, it's a digital music streaming service. You can either pay for a premium membership or sign up for free. I think the free membership will do you just fine. Here are the essential differences with these membership types. With the free membership, you'll listen to a few ads during the playlist, and when listening on your mobile phone, the songs will be shuffled, not played in top 10 order. If you listen on your computer, though, you can listen to the songs in order. If you pay for membership, you can listen to the songs in order on any device, and you won't hear the ads. In either case, you can listen to all the songs in each week's countdown, with occasional exception if the song is not available in Spotify's library, which seems to happen with one song for each of our episodes so far. You'll also get to listen to some of the other songs we discuss in the podcast, such as those in the Memory Jogger features. Not only is a playlist currently available to accompany this February 3rd, 1959 episode of Memory and Top 40 Music, but we've also published playlists for each of the first four episodes, so be sure to check out those playlists, I hope it will bring your enjoyment of memory and top 40 music to a whole nother level. How can you find the playlists? You can search for memory and top 40 music when in Spotify. We've also included the memory and top 40 music Spotify link in our episode notes on Podbean, iTunes, and Stitcher, including the links for the first four episodes playlists. 
Here's the order in which we'll load each playlist. First will be the week's top 10, followed by those memory jogger songs and other extras. Please try it out and let me know what you think. I'm really excited about this great new enhancement to memory and top 40 music. Okay, let's get back to the countdown. We've got a country music singer at number 7 this week, Billy Grammer and his song, Gotta Travel On. A man by the name of Connie Gay features prominently in the Billy Grammer story. Connie Gay was the founding president of the Country Music Association and co-founder of the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum. He is also given credit for coming up with the phrase country music for what had previously been known as hillbilly music. Anyway, Connie Gay was doing a 30-minute show six days a week on WARL Radio in Arlington, Virginia. The show was called Town and Country Time. He discovered stars such as Jimmy Dean and Patsy Cline. He also hired Billy Grammer as a singer for Town and Country Time. This exposure led to a recording contract for Grammer, whose first hit single was Gotta Travel On. Interestingly, the song performed better on the pop charts than on the country charts. It reached number five on the country charts while getting to number four on the pop charts. It was also a number 14 hit on the R&B charts. What's more, Gotta Travel On was Grammer's only appearance in the top 40, though he had two other songs on the Hot 100 also in 1959. Grammer became a regular cast member on the Grand Ole Opry in 1959. He also was the founder of a company which made the Grammer guitars, Reed, Grammer, and Gower, later renamed Grammar Guitar Inc. Here are two perhaps eerie facts. Billy Grammer and his band, the Travel On Boys, played at a political rally in Laurel, Maryland in 1972, at which presidential candidate and Alabama governor George Wallace was paralyzed in an assassination attempt. And it was Grammer's hit, Gotta Travel On, which Buddy Holly was playing as the opening song of the Winter Dance Party Tour in 1959. Billy Grammer died in August 2011 when he was 85 years old. Gotta Travel On did all right by Billy Grammer. It spent 15 weeks in the top 40, 7 weeks in the top 10. This week, it was at number 7, down 1 from the prior week. Billy Grammer and Gotta Travel On. You know, Clear Lake, Iowa was not an originally scheduled stop for the winter dance party, but with an open date, a show was booked at the Surf Ballroom, even though the tour had been in Green Bay the night before, a 350-mile bus ride away. The next show was scheduled for Moorhead, Minnesota, a 365-mile bus ride from Clear Lake. And then it would be back to Iowa for a show in Sioux City. So frustration with the tour, especially given the transportation problems, couldn't have been a surprise. Buddy Holly decided he'd had enough and chartered a plane, a Beechcraft Bonanza, to take his band to Fargo, North Dakota, with the intention that the tour bus would pick them up for the quick drive from there to Moorhead. Holly's drummer was no longer on the tour due to his frostbite, so other band members, Waylon Jennings and Tommy Alsup, were slated to fly with Holly. Or were they? Stories have varied over the years about who was supposed to fly and which seat was determined by a coin flip. The more common story says it was to be Holly and his remaining band members, Jennings and Alsup, on the plane. With Jennings giving up his seat to the ailing Big Bopper, and Alsup losing a coin toss to Valens for the final seat. According to another version, it was the tour's stars, Holly, the Big Bopper, Valens, and Dion DiMucci, lead singer of Dion and the Belmonts, who were to fly, 
But with only three available seats and the Big Bopper getting a seat due to illness, the coin toss was between Valens and Dion. Whichever story you go with, in the end, Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens boarded the plane. They took off from Mason City Municipal Airport at 12.55 a.m. on Tuesday, February 3rd. The plane crashed just about six miles from the airport, killing the three singers, along with their 21-year-old pilot, Roger Peterson. The saying the show must go on certainly applied to the winter dance party, as the tour did not end even with the plane crash. 15-year-old Bobby V and a group of Fargo, North Dakota schoolboys known as the Shadows stepped in to perform at the show in Moorhead. Jimmy Clanton, Fabian, and Frankie Avalon were then substituted as the tour's headliners. But even Buddy Holly's band, specifically Waylon Jennings and Tommy Alsup, continued to perform for the next couple of weeks, with Jennings handling lead vocals. Of course, Jennings went on to become a giant star in the world of country music. He was one of the most successful country outlaws. The life of Buddy Holly was dramatized in the movie The Buddy Holly Story, starring Gary Busey, who was nominated for an Academy Award for his portrayal of Holly. Musician Marshall Crenshaw played Holly in the 1987 motion picture La Bamba, which was a film about Richie Valens. Lou Diamond Phillips played the role of Valens, and the movie's soundtrack featured Los Lobos' cover of Valens' hit La Bamba that became a number one hit for Los Lobos. In his brief career, Valens charted five times with two top 40 hits, La Bamba and Donna. The Big Bopper hit the top 40 twice in his short career, with his biggest and best-known hit being Chantilly Lace in 1958. Dion and the Belmonts had a very successful career, hitting the top 49 times, including their hits A Teenager in Love and Where or When. As a solo singer, Dion DiMucci hit the top 40 another 12 times, and that included the hit songs Abraham, Martin, and John, The Wanderer, and Runaround Sue, a number one hit from 1961. Buddy Holly had eight top 40 hits, the biggest being Peggy Sue and That'll Be the Day. Holly was a huge influence over many stars to come, including Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones, and the Beatles. There was only one female singer in the top ten this week, and we find her at number six. It's Connie Francis and her hit song, My Happiness. Conchetta Maria Franconero was born in Newark, New Jersey. When she was 14, she won a place on the Arthur Godfrey Talent Scout show. It was Godfrey, having trouble pronouncing Connie's Italian last name, who gave her the last name Francis. She appeared on the weekly NBC TV show The Start Time Kids for three and a half years. She eventually signed with MGM Records, and her first nine singles failed to perform. It was at her father's insistence that she recorded a song written in 1923 called Who's Sorry Now? It caught the ear of Dick Clark, who began playing it regularly, and Connie Francis had herself a hit. A million seller, in fact, which reached number four on the pop charts in March 1958. The song hit number one in England. She became a major star, earning herself the title of America's Sweetheart of Song. Her shows were huge draws, a role model, a dream girl to many young men. Connie Francis' items were everywhere, clothing, jewelry, posters, and scrapbooks. She had her own network special on ABC TV when she was only 22, and she was the first female singer to sell a million copies of a rock and roll record, Stupid Cupid, which was co-written by Neil Sedaka. 
She was named the number one female vocalist in 1958 by Billboard, Cashbox, and the Jukebox Operators of America. Connie Francis appeared in four movies, the first being Where the Boys Are, the title track for which became her signature song and a number four hit in 1961. In total, her career spawned 35 top 40 hits. She made the top 10 16 times and had three number one hits, Everybody, Somebody's Fool, and My Heart Has a Mind of Its Own in 1960, and Don't Break the Heart That Loves You in 1962. As for the song My Happiness, it enjoyed a 14-week top 40 run, seven of those weeks in the top 10. This week, it was down four notches from number two to number six. It had spent the last two weeks at number two, its peak position. In celebration of her 80th birthday, Connie Francis recently released her autobiography, Among My Souvenirs, The Real Story. And on February 3rd, 1959, Connie Francis had the sixth biggest hit in America with My Happiness. It's time for our Memory Jogger feature, and in this installment of Memory Jogger, we'll remember a few key music figures who recently passed. We'll start with Ray Thomas, a founding member of the Moody Blues. Ray Thomas died suddenly on January 4th, just months before the Moody Blues induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Thomas and Mike Pinder formed the Moody Blues in 1964 with Denny Lane, Graham Edge, and Clint Warwick, and their first hit was Go Now, which reached number 10 in 1965. As the group's name indicates, their original style was blues and R&B. But as they migrated towards progressive rock, Lane and Warwick departed the band to be replaced by Justin Hayward and John Lodge. The Moody Blues' biggest hit was Nights in White Satin, which got to number two in November 1972 and featured a flute solo by Ray Thomas. After the group broke up, Thomas recorded a couple of solo albums in the 1970s, but he was back with the band when it reformed and Thomas stayed with the Moody Blues until 2002 when he retired due to health issues. Keely Smith was a popular singer who died on December 16, 2017 at the age of 89. She and her then-husband, Louis Prima, had a number 18 hit in 1958, That Old Black Magic, which won the first Grammy for Best Performance by a vocal group at the first annual Grammy Awards in 1959. And though she remained very popular, That Old Black Magic was Keely's only top 40 hit single. Smith and Prima performed their big hit at President Kennedy's inauguration in January 1961. She and Kid Rock performed a duet of the song at the 2008 Grammy Awards. Pat Denizio, lead singer and songwriter for the rock band The Smithereens, died on December 12, 2017. He was 62. The Smithereens, a band of boys from Carteret, New Jersey, hit the top 40 twice with A Girl Like You, which got to number 38 in March 1990, and Too Much Passion, which got one notch higher, number 37, in April 1992. The Smithereens' breakthrough came in 1986 when their song Blood and Roses was featured in the movie Dangerously Close, and their video received airplay on MTV. Do you remember the song The Lion Sleeps Tonight? It was a big hit for Robert John in 1972 and was a toe-tapper in the Disney film The Lion King. But the act that had the most success with the song was The Tokens, who took it to number one in December 1961. On November 24, 2017, Mitch Margot died. He was a member of The Tokens. The Tokens were a doo-wop group from Brooklyn, New York, 
and formed at the borough's famed Lincoln High School. Mitch was still 14 when the tokens hit number one with The Lion Sleeps Tonight. It stayed at number one for three weeks. 1,694 weeks after falling out of the Hot 100 in February 1962, the tokens were back in the Hot 100 with The Lion Sleeps Tonight in August 1994, coincident with the release of Disney's The Lion King movie, getting as high as number 55. Ray Thomas, Keely Smith, Pat Donizio, and Mitch Margot. Thanks for the music and the memories. The singer at number five this week is a native of Kenner, Louisiana, and a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Lloyd Price and his number one hit, Stagger Lee. Stagger Lee would spend 15 weeks in the top 40. It held steady this week at number five, its third week in the top 10. Next week, it would make the big jump to the number one position atop the charts, where it would stay for four weeks. Stagger Lee is based on the true story of the murder of Billy Lyons at Christmas time, 1895, by Stag Lee Shelton in St. Louis. Stagger Lee also went number one on the R&B charts and was a number seven hit in England. Price's recording was ranked number 456 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Art Roop, who owned L.A.-based Specialty Records, discovered Lloyd Price at the Fish and Fry owned by Price's mother. Price's first release was Laudy Miss Claudie, a song which Price himself wrote. Roop pulled together a band for the recording session, which included Fats Domino on piano. Laudy Miss Claudie hit number one on the R&B charts in 1952 and was the R&B record of the year. Price's next hits came after he served in the Army. 1959 was the bellwether year for Price's recording career, as he hit with Stagger Lee, which went to number one in February, Personality, which went to number two in June, and I'm Gonna Get Married, a number three hit in September. Both Personality and I'm Gonna Get Married hit number one on the R&B charts. All three of these rock songs prominently featured the saxophone of Merritt Mel Dalton. All told, Price hit the Billboard Top 40 nine times between 1957 and 1963, when he had his last Top 40 hit with Misty, which got as high as number 21. This is the same Misty which Johnny Mathis scored big with in 1959. Lloyd Price was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in January 1998. He was inducted into the National Black Sports and Entertainment Hall of Fame in 2001. He's an inductee into the USBC Bowling Hall of Fame, for his manufacture of Lloyd Price brand bowling balls. He's also in the Amsterdam Hall of Fame, the South Carolina Hall of Fame, and the Louisiana Music Hall of Fame. That's six halls of fame. Frank Sinatra was asked in 1982 who was the greatest entertainer besides himself. He replied, Lloyd Price is the most complete entertainer I've ever known. Lloyd Price is founder, chairman of the board, CEO, and president of Lloyd Price Icon Food Brands, Inc., featuring Laudy Miss Claudie Sweet Potato Cookies. And on February 3rd, 1959, Lloyd Price was number five on the charts with Stagger Lee. In addition to the memories these great songs bring back, let's see what was going on in the world in February 1959. Swiss men voted against voting rights for women. It wasn't until 1971 that Swiss women were granted full suffrage, an incredible thing to consider today. Vince Lombardi signed a five-year contract to become the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. On the same day as the Buddy Holly plane crash, 
an American Airlines flight crashed in New York's East River, killing 65. We had the first successful test fire of a Titan intercontinental ballistic missile. Fidel Castro became the Prime Minister of Cuba after overthrowing Fulgencio Batista. The first weather satellite, Vanguard 2, was launched. Britain, Turkey, and Greece signed an agreement granting independence to Cyprus. Lee Petty won the first Daytona 500. The new version of the Lincoln penny was introduced on Abraham Lincoln's 150th birthday. The portrait of Lincoln was unchanged, but the new tail side had the Lincoln Memorial replacing the wheat penny. Number one on the New York Times bestsellers list was Dr. Shivago by Boris Pasternak. Born in February 1959 were NFL Hall of Famer Lawrence Taylor, Brian Travers and Ali Campbell of the music group UB40, Mauricio Macri, president of Argentina, Omar Hakim, drummer for Dire Straits and The Weather Report, soprano Renee Fleming, tennis great John McEnroe, NFL commissioner Roger Goodell, and Johnny Van Zant of Leonard Skinnerd. Among those who died in February 1959, in addition to Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens, were Wild Bill Donovan, who during World War II led the Office of Strategic Services, the precursor to the CIA, and Tim Mara, co-founder of the New York Football Giants. Now back to our countdown. At number four, in the same position as last week, we find one of just two groups in this week's top ten, the Crests, and their huge hit, 16 Candles. This was 16 Candles' seventh week in the top 40. The Crests, the first interracial doo-wop group, were founded by J.T. Carter and featured members Tommy Goff, Chico Torres, Patricia Vandross, sister of Luther Vandross, and lead vocalist Johnny Mastrangelo, better known in the music world as Johnny Maestro. Maestro would go on to lead the vocal group called The Brooklyn Bridge, who had the 1969 smash hit, The Worst That Could Happen. The Crests had a minor hit with their first release, Sweetest One, in 1957. Patricia Vandross then left the group because her mother didn't want 15-year-old Patricia touring with the older guys in the group. Sixteen Candles was the Crests' first top 40 hit, and what a hit it was, spending seven weeks in the top ten, topping out at number two for two weeks in February 1959. Sixteen Candles was co-written by Luther Dixon, who left a legacy of great songs. He also co-wrote several of the Shirelles' big hits, including Boys, Baby It's You, for which Dixon used the pseudonym Barney Williams, and then the Shirelles' 1962 number one hit, Soldier Boy. The Crest's recording of Sixteen Candles appeared in the film American Graffiti. Sixteen Candles was also the title of a 1984 film starring Molly Ringwald, in it, the Stray Cats performed the title song. The Crests hit the top 45 times in 1959 and 1960, with 16 Candles being their biggest hit. They were inducted into the United in Group Harmony Association Hall of Fame in 2000 and into the Vocal Group Hall of Fame in 2004. Founding member J.T. Carter is the only original member of the Crests still alive today. And on February 3, 1959, the Crests had the number four song in the U.S., 16 Candles. Let's take a look at what else was going on in the world of entertainment in February 1959. Debbie Reynolds was granted a divorce from Eddie Fisher. She testified that her husband became interested in another woman. It's reported that Reynolds testified without ever mentioning the name of Elizabeth Taylor. The most popular new movie in the U.S. in February 1959 was Disney's Sleeping Beauty. 
and the top five TV shows of the 1958-59 TV season featured four westerns. The top five were, starting with number five, The Danny Thomas Show, The Rifleman, Have Gun, Will Travel, Wagon Train, and Gunsmoke. I'm Joe Williams, and you're listening to Memory and Top 40 Music, and we're taking a walk through the top of the chart from February 3rd, 1959. And before we get back to the countdown, it's time for our second Memory Jogger feature. And in this installment, we're going to remember Don McLean's big hit record, American Pie. The album American Pie was McLean's second release, and it contained two hits, American Pie and Vincent. Don McLean was 13 years old when the plane crashed that took the lives of Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens. He was folding newspapers for his paper route when he learned the news. It was in the song American Pie that the phrase, The Day the Music Died, was first used to refer to the day the three early rock and roll stars died. For years, McLean wouldn't directly address what the song was about, but in an editorial in 2009, the 50th anniversary of the crash, McLean acknowledged that the song was his expression of grief over Buddy Holly's death. The song American Pie was number one in the U.S. for four weeks in January and February 1972. That included the 13th anniversary of the crash. The song spent 17 weeks in the top 40, 11 of those in the top 10. It also topped the charts in Canada, New Zealand, and Australia. The album American Pie hit number one within two weeks of its release and spent nearly a year on the Billboard album charts. One thing that anyone familiar with the song remembers is its length. 8 minutes and 36 seconds. It was the longest song to reach number one, and some radio stations only played the first part of the record. I remember that one of my cousins owned the 45, and when you listened to it, you got partway through the song, and then had to flip it over on the turntable to listen to the rest of the song. In February 2002, American Pie was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. In 2004, McLean was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. And in 2017, his original recording of American Pie was selected for preservation in the National Recording Registry by the Library of Congress. Though it is easily the best-known tribute to the deceased musicians, it was not the first. Shortly after the crash, disc jockey Tommy D wrote a song called Three Stars as a tribute to Holly, Valens, and the Big Bopper. D's recording, which he made along with Carol Kay, debuted in the Top 40 on April 13, 1959, where it stayed for eight weeks, getting as high as number 11. It was Tommy D's only hit. The original 1973 recording of the song Rock and Roll Heaven by the band Climax included lyrics for Buddy Holly and Richie Valens, but when the Righteous Brothers recorded it in 1974, those lyrics were replaced by lyrics commemorating Jim Croce and Bobby Darin, who had died in late 1973. From American Pie, But February made me shiver with every paper I'd deliver. Bad news on the doorstep, I couldn't take one more step. I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride. Something touched me deep inside. The day the music died. Don McLean and his huge 1972 smash, American Pie, the song that coined the phrase the day the music died, in reference to the plane crash, on February 3, 1959, which killed Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens. Next phase, new wave, dance craze, anyways, here's a song at number three. And at number three this week, 
It's Richie Valens and Donna. Born Richard Stephen Valenzuela in Los Angeles in 1941, Valens was heavily influenced by traditional Mexican mariachi music. Known around San Fernando High School as the Little Richard of San Fernando, the head of Delphi Records invited the teenager to an audition after which he was signed to a recording contract. This was when Richard Valenzuela became Richie Valens. Valens' first release was Come On, Let's Go, which appeared on both the Hot 100 and R&B charts. Come On, Let's Go debuted in the Hot 100 on September 22, 1958. His next release was a double A-side with Donna on one side of the 45 and La Bamba on the other. The record was a million seller, with Donna spending 18 weeks in the top 40, 10 of those in the top 10. It would peak at number 2 for two weeks, beginning February 23rd. La Bamba wasn't as big a hit. It was in and out of the top 40 three times in early 1959, spending a total of eight weeks in the top 40 and getting as high as number 22 this very week. What's interesting to me is unlike today when an artist dies, fans rush to buy or download their work. That didn't appear to be happening in 1959. Two other Valen songs were released as singles in 59, but neither made the top 40. From the time Valen signed his recording contract until his death, his career lasted only about eight months. In that time, he dropped out of high school, recorded enough songs for two albums, twice appeared on American Bandstand, performed with Buddy Holly and Paul Anka in Hawaii, was among the performers at Alan Freed's Christmas Jubilee in New York, along with Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, and the Everly Brothers, and was in the rock and roll movie Go Johnny Go. Then, of course, Valens joined the Winter Dance Party in January 1959 and was killed at the age of 17 in the plane crash we've been discussing throughout this episode of Memory and Top 40 Music. Valens is thought to be the first Latino to find success in rock and roll. Among those who cite Richie Valens as an influence are Los Lobos and Carlos Santana, and of course, the previously mentioned 1987 film La Bamba depicted Valens in the last two years of his life. Valens was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2001, and his song Donna was the number three song in the U.S. on February 3rd, 1959. Looking over the balance of the chart this week, six songs made their top 40 debut this week. The highest debuting song in the top 40 was all the way up at number 13 with Tall Paul by Annette Funicello, up from number 41. But even with that kind of leap, Tall Paul would end up going no higher than number 7. And the highest debuting song in the Hot 100 was Charlie Brown by The Coasters. It was at number 69. Charlie Brown would skyrocket 40 spots the next week and then be in the top 10 two weeks after that. There were still two Christmas songs hanging on in the top 40 this first week of February. The Little Drummer Boy by Harry Simeon and his singers at number 36 and The Chipmunk Song by David Seville and the Chipmunks at number 23. Alvin! This song had its initial release in December 1958 and spent four weeks at number one. The Chipmunk Song is evidently the last Christmas song to reach number one on any U.S. singles record chart. At number 50 was the Godfather of Soul, James Brown, and the first of the 89 songs he'd place in the Hot 100, that being Try Me, which would peak at number 48. And there was exactly one future number one song in the Hot 100 this week, that being the song at number 5, Lloyd Price's Stagger Lee.
At number two this week is Bobby Bear with All-American Boy, though you wouldn't know it was Bear by looking at the record label. You see, Bobby Bear had recorded a demo of the song for a friend of his, a guy named Bill Parsons. The record company had intended to release the version of the song which Parsons later recorded, but decided to use Bobby Bear's original demo. However, with Bear still under contract to another label, Fraternity Records released the song under Bill Parsons' name. In fact, Bear says he never received any royalties from this song. All-American Boy spent 13 weeks in the top 40, including 5 weeks in the top 10. A week ago, the song was at number 12, and it took a 10-point jump up this week to number 2, its highest chart position. All-American Boy was Bear's biggest pop hit. In all, he hit the top 45 times. He had one other top 10 hit, that was 1963's 500 Miles From Home. Bear had tremendous success on the country charts. He won a Grammy Award in 1963 for Best Country and Western Recording for Detroit City. Bear hit the country top 40 a total of 58 times. That included 13 top 10 songs, one of which, 1974's Marie Laveau, made it all the way to number one. Marie Laveau was a novelty song about the most famous of the voodoo queens that ever existed. Ironically, that turned out to be Bobby Bear's last top 10 hit. Bobby Bear was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame in 2013. And on our countdown, from February 3, 1959, Bobby Bear, not Bill Parsons, had the song All-American Boy at number 2. Okay, we've nearly reached the top of this week's chart, but before we take that last big step, let's review the top 10. Number 10, Goodbye Baby by Jack Scott. Number 9, A Lover's Question by Clyde McFadder. Jackie Wilson was at number 8 with Lonely Teardrops. At number 7, Billy Grammer and Gotta Travel On. Connie Francis at number 6 with her hit My Happiness. Stagger Lee by Lloyd Price was at number 5. The Crests and Sixteen Candles was in the number 4 spot. At number 3 is Donna by Richie Valens. Bobby Bear, under the name Bill Parsons, is at number 2 with All-American Boy. And the number one song on February 3rd, 1959 is Smoke Gets In Your Eyes by The Platters. Memory and Top 40 Music listeners will recall our discussion of The Platters in Episode 2 when their number one hit, The Great Pretender, was in the top ten. Smoke Gets In Your Eyes was the last of their four number one hits. It was also a number three hit on the R&B charts. The Platters were the first African-American group to achieve international stardom. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1990 and the Vocal Group Hall of Fame in 1998. Two of their songs, Only You and The Great Pretender, are in the Grammy Hall of Fame. The Platters have been called the most romantic of all the doo-wop groups. Smoke It's In Your Eyes was written by Jerome Kern with lyrics by Otto Harbach in 1933 for the musical Roberta. Smoke It's In Your Eyes was also regularly performed by the group Sha Na Na in its heyday. But it is the Platters recording that is the most well-known version of Smoke It's In Your Eyes. It was also a number one hit on the British charts in March 1959. Smoke It's In Your Eyes was released in the Platters' 1958 Remember When album. It spent 16 weeks in the top 40, 10 of those weeks in the top 10. It hit number one on January 19th and stayed there for three weeks. This would be its final week atop the charts, falling next week to number four. The number one song on February 3rd, 1959, The Platters and Smoke Gets In Your Eyes.
I hope you enjoyed our review of the top 10 songs for February 3rd, 1959, The Day the Music Died. Did you hear anything in this episode that brought back a memory? If so, please share it. Send me a note to memory at spokenjoe.com. Episodes of Memory and Top 40 Music are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Give us a rating and feedback while you're there, and please subscribe. And don't forget about our new companion playlists on Spotify. You can search for Memory and Top 40 Music when in Spotify. We've also included the Memory and Top 40 Music Spotify link in our episode notes on Podbean, iTunes, and Stitcher, including the links for the first four episodes' playlists, as well as, of course, for this new episode. So what's next for Memory and Top 40 Music? Well, you probably know the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea start in February. And our next episode will be all about the songs from the Olympics that made the pop charts. Be sure to tune in. Thanks for listening to Memory and Top 40 Music. I'm Spoken Joe. See you next time.